This is Steve McLeod, and you are listening to Bootstrapped, the podcast for people running bootstrap software companies. In episode 203, I conclude the mini-season of interviews with a brief summary of the five interviews I conducted. Before I continue, I need to say that I've been unwell most of this week. In fact, my whole family has had a week of sickness. I think it all started when my daughter brought something home from daycare, and it's gone through all of us. So I'm still somewhat low energy today. For the sake of my voice and my energy, I'll be keeping this episode short. A few weeks ago, my co-host Ed Freifogel had a cycling accident that broke his jaw. As a result, he had to take a break from the podcast while he was recovering. In the meantime, I invited a few people to come onto the podcast and talk about their businesses, their work, and themselves. I really enjoyed doing these interviews, and I hope you enjoy listening to them. Each person I interviewed has a rather different business and different insights to share. From one-person businesses to 25-person businesses to an expert in product positioning. In case you haven't listened to all of them, I'm going to quickly summarize each one in today's episode. First was Simon Bennett. Simon runs Snapshooter, a service that performs scheduled backups. It's a great example of a bootstrapped business that can be run by a tiny team, just a couple of people really, while bringing in a decent income, growing slowly and steadily year after year, and being relatively low stress. Normally. I'll come back to that in a moment. I think this is a, also a great example of a bootstrap business that can let you run it on your terms and give you as much or as little time as you like for other things such as family and hobbies and life and health. I did say low stress, but Simon shared a particularly stressful story which boiled down to running an RM-RF on the wrong server. It's one of those stories that, if you're a developer, it makes your blood run cold. Although, luckily, in this case, it turned out not to be too disastrous as we thought at first. In my opinion, Simon's business is an ideal bootstrap business. He got a lot of the basics right. For example, it's B2B, not B2C. This means the customers are businesses. B2B customers understand the value your business offers. They're willing to pay decent money. And they typically keep paying for many months and years even, as long as your product keeps providing the value that that business perceives. After initially getting pricing really wrong, it sounds like Simon sorted that out and is now charging decent money that makes the business quite viable. Like I said, I think Simon's business is an ideal bootstrapped business. The next interview was with Jane Portman. Jane's the host of the UI Breakfast podcast. Jane's podcast recently crossed the 2 million downloads milestone. Now, that is a phenomenal achievement. It's an order of magnitude more than I've achieved with this podcast so far. And I was really curious to hear with Jane how she managed to achieve this. So Jane shared why she started the podcast, how she built up the audience, and how she's managed to keep at it for so long on a very consistent basis. We talked about the impact her podcast has on her SaaS product that Jane co-founded a couple of years ago, UserList. What we didn't touch on in this interview, but something that really stood out to me, is that Jane is not a native speaker of English, but she did not let that stop her from starting a podcast in English 
and nevertheless, she still managed to build it up to a great success. It made me question some of the excuses I use when I avoid doing things I'm somewhat nervous about doing. If somebody can make a very successful podcast in a second language, then surely I can do some of the things I want to do in my native language. That brings us to episode three, which was an interview with April Dunford. April has a well-deserved reputation as the expert on product positioning in the tech industry. She speaks at lots of conferences, and in fact, she has written a book on product positioning, drawing on her many years of success in this area. And that book has become a central reading on positioning in our industry. The book, by the way, is called Obviously Awesome. It's self-recommending. Go read it if you haven't already. April and I discussed how bootstrappers can go about product positioning. I enjoyed this chance to talk to an industry expert, but not about what they do in general, but how we could narrow that discussion down to apply her teachings within the limited resources of a bootstrapper. When I was at the recent Business of Software online conference, I noticed at the time that person after person recommended April's book, either in uh, breakout sessions or in chats, and I also recommend that book. One thing in particular I took away from my interview with April is the danger of using low price as your market position. As April put it, when you position yourself as an affordable alternative to a Goliath in your market, it leads many would-be customers to think you are a cheaper, crappier version of the Goliath. Oh, like product X, but cheaper and crappier. This is a mistake I made in my business feature upvote. I initially put, uh, marketed or positioned it as the affordable alternative to user voice. Now it managed to get me some customers, but I think things really changed when I realized that this was not a sustainable market position. As April said, it, it somehow says you're worse than the, than the market leader, but it also easy for other people to beat you at like somebody can always undercut you uh the, the goliath can temporarily undercut you with discounts and so on and i think my business really became much better when i started charging more decent money and in fact if i had been doing that from earlier on i think it would have taken less time to get to where i am at today with feature upvote moving on to the next interview i chatted with peter cooper now, Peter is somebody I've been wanting to talk to since, well, ever since I took over this podcast a couple of years ago. Peter runs several email newsletters, such as JavaScript Weekly and Ruby Weekly. I'm a subscriber to Ruby Weekly. Every week I get it in my inbox, and it's something I enjoy reading week after week. Peter told me why he did this, why he started an email newsletter, why he spread to do more than one newsletter, how they took off, what works, and how it became a sustainable business. I appreciated that Peter was willing to talk about the times when things didn't go so well, the dark times we called them. Peter talked about growing the team too big, taking on things that in hindsight were too much, such as in-person events, and having to cut back the team size so that he could focus on his core business of newsletters. One of the reasons why I wanted to chat with Peter is quite personal. About 10 years ago, 
So about the time Peter was starting to really get success with his email newsletters, about 10 years ago, I tried myself to get an email newsletter going. Mine was simply called the Java newsletter. I had a domain name, a basic website, a sign up form. People were signing up. I sent, I think I got about a thousand subscribers overall. I was sending issues initially weekly. Although then I started skipping some weeks and then I was skipping some months. And I think at some stage I even skipped a whole year or two and it never managed to work out as a business. Eventually I closed it down. I got rid of the domain, everything. So I could concentrate on the other things, the other business things that were working for me. So I was very curious to hear what went into running a successful business based on email newsletters. And I think if i had had this chat with Peter 10 years ago, and if I'd learned at the time from what he had already learned to make things successful, I possibly could have got somewhere with that newsletter, but that's the past. And, uh, I'm quite happy with doing what I am now. It do, I do from time to time though, think what if that, that business had turned out. The fifth and final interview in my mini season of interviews was with Bridget Harris. Bridget is the co-founder of You Can Book Me, an online scheduling tool. Bridget told me about the 10 year journey that has built You Can Book Me into a team of 25 people with revenue of 5 million pounds a year. I think that's getting close to $7 million a year. I asked Bridget if building a business of that size was her original aim. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. Bridget started with much smaller aspirations, but it turns out that this type of business naturally wants to be bigger. Bridget told me that what her and her co-founder had been hoping to start was a product that they could run to get some kind of passive income, something that wasn't going to take over their whole life. But you know, some businesses naturally want to be bigger than you want them to be. And it turned out that you can book me as one of them. It's a business that naturally wanted to grow to the size it's at now and probably even bigger. Bridget talked also about the financial sacrifices that she and her co-founder needed to make to bootstrap a business of that size. This is something that I very seldom hear, hear talked about, but it's the reality of that if you're committed to the bootstrapping path and you do want to grow your business to more than just a couple of people, there are financial sacrifices. You will probably have to earn less than your employees for many years. You might find it hard to get a mortgage and you also have that strange situation where people outside looking in assume that you are earning decent income because they see that you have a successful software business. Whereas the reality is that although you're building up significant equity in your business, for some years, you are actually not earning all that much money day to day. Oh, by the way, although Bridget's journey with You Can Book Me has been 10 years so far, she told us that there was another 10 years before that of trying different ideas that didn't work out. This is something I identify with all too well. I suspect you might identify with it too. It took me at least eight years of trying until I finally hit on an idea that worked and had developed the skills it took to get it off the ground. Now, I don't think there was eight years of bad ideas necessarily, but it was eight years of learning with ideas and building up the skills I have. And this is very much the story that Bridget told. I think it's really well worth listening to. That wraps up the five interviews with 
Simon and Jane and April and Peter and Bridget. If you haven't listened to them all, I recommend you do. And maybe you can do me a favor. Do you have a friend, a colleague, an acquaintance who you think would enjoy one of these interviews? If so, then please let them know. Send them a text or an email or a DM, however you communicate, and give them a link to the episode and ask them to listen. I'd really appreciate this. It would help me build up uh, some more listeners. And it would help make more use of this content that I've been working hard on over the last few weeks. Now, to finish up, the good news is that Ed Freifogel, my co-host, is now recovered from his cycling accident and he's able to record podcast episodes with me again. We've already recorded one, it's currently getting edited, and it should be published next week. In that episode, Ed talks about the accident he had, the impact on his life and business. He also talks about how it got him reflecting. He says he had a lot of time to reflect, how it got him reflecting about his business. So be sure to listen next week for the full story of Ed's accident and recovery. So that's all for this week. Bye everybody and thanks for listening.